can't believe that you haven't seen it Love it so much you really gotta stream it Let me tell you every line right now I can quote the whole thing since I was 12 Maybe your mom told you no She said she wouldn't give you any money to go And that's why Movies we missed Hey, hey, hey! And welcome to another episode of Movies We Missed. I'm your host, Brandon Greenhouse, and this is my lovely co-host, Jane Kimberly Hammer. Um, and um, yeah, we're just we're, we're having a good time today. We're hanging out. We're happy to be here with all of you. Um, if you want to keep tabs on us and what's going on, um, then you can follow us on Instagram and on Facebook at Movies We Missed. And you can also find us tweet, tweet, tweeting away per use, as always, over on MWM Chat. That's our Twitter link. Um, so yeah, Jane, how are you? How are you doing today? I know Happy it's been a new year. I know it's been a rough one f- um, for you. Because um, last week, well, last week everything that happened with your girl Ghislaine, um, or, as you, <laughs> or as you call her, innocent. Um, and then um, I was so I actually I almost texted you to ask you if you wanted to take this week off because you've had a mm. double whammy in the past two weeks. You had everything that happened with Ghislaine, uh-huh. and then you had um, you described her as having her finger on the pulse of um, of the technology industry. <laughs> um, uh, a lot of people have just described her as you know inmate number four seven two eight dash G. Um, and that's your girl, as you called her. Um, the, you said she was wrongfully accused, I believe. Um, your girl, Elizabeth? <laughs> Elizabeth Holmes. I thought over you were going to go um, there. Over at Theranos? Yeah. You Theranos. Were, you worked there, I know, for a number of years. And you were responsible for a lot of those packages that were or were not um, delivered, right? I was um, I was the lead scientist um, over there at okay, Theranos. Okay, so mistake one. Which, <laughs> honestly, it was, a, it was kind of on them, um, considering, um, you know, my credentials or lack of... I was of. your reference, I remember, and you... Um, I remember you texting me beforehand and mm-hmm. telling me, as I've done many a times for Jane, mm-hmm. um, for mm-hmm. job interviews, there was one time, mm-hmm. I'll never forget it, because I was so proud of the lie I came up with. <laughs> I, Jane was applying for a job somewhere and I don't remember where but the people called me this was like 10 years ago the people called me and I remember I said I told them that you had been like an au pair for like <laughs> me and my wife so many lives oh my unpacked. god I um, don't remember that and I, I will remember- say I will say nowadays I don't do fake references because I, I have earned real ones but I did definitely call my friends all the time for fake references I remember the but what I said which I was so proud of myself I said Jane's the kind of employee that you hate to give good reference because you don't want to lose her. <laughs> you are a genius. I hope I, I got the job. They were like, wow. <laughs> I think you got moved on to the next round. Um, I don't know if you ended up getting the, the green light ultimately. Because um, ultimately it's um, <laughs> got to deliver. I can only promises. do so much. Okay. I can only do so much. Um, but I think that I remember saying that and then being like, 
I'm, was that I'm not too just, much? I'm not just good. I'm great. Um, <laughs> they probably knew you were a friend instantly. Um, it was a bit. I, I sometimes swing a little too far. It's the actor in me. Um, we're not often comfortable with like pedestrian storylines. And so. <laughs> no, you don't want to keep it neutral. You want to keep it like you. You want to have the performance of a lifetime, whether it leads to a job for me or not. It's more about me being remembered than you at a certain point, I guess. Um, I'm really going to fluff that pillow. Um, if I'm making the bed, let's put it mm-hmm. that way. Um, mm-hmm. I just coined that as well. I think I, I just came up with that. That was that was good. I liked it. It meant a lot. Like I could thank you. Could, that that was a meaty. Um, what would that be called? <clears throat> um, metaphor. That's not really a metaphor. Um, I. <laughs> you know what? I'm a little um, brain. Is that right not now. a metaphor? What? No, because a metaphor has to be. You, well, actually, no. This is simile. <laughs> know this i genuinely do know this prove it (laughs) okay so it's actually our first show after the new year and i want to share what my top resolution is right now do you want to hear it um as long as that's not slanderous to me in any way then yes (laughs) it is to stop bickering with you so much that's my top resolution (laughs) kidding it's absolutely not um <laughs> his face you guys should see it how dare you <laughs> also we wouldn't have a show by also, the way also we wouldn't have a friendship by the way <laughs> oh my god it's no always, that is not my tools are always being sharpened with the two of us we're, we're always ready to do an autopsy on something also it, people the deadest like of horses. Also, people love it when we fight like aggressively. People write in and they're like, "Do they really?" This, yeah, they're like, "This was such a good episode for a good Jade and Brandon fight." <laughs> no, they have. Ooh, people, I like that. Yeah, it's all in love. It's just like siblings bickering. We love each other in such a way, and you know, like Jane's Jane's my girl, and she always will be. She's like a sister to me. So and and. And absolutely. And if you'll notice, I used this um, this conversation to really veer away from having to um, define what a metaphor, simile, and like analogy is. So I know. I was going to give you mercy and just masterful. let you let masterful. you move let you move on from something that you didn't know. There's going to be something else that we can talk about. That you don't know. There's about. so much I don't know. I love it when you speak with authority, though. It's my favorite Thank thing. You. There's so many people though in the world who just speak who just put a little bit of bass in their voice and have no idea yeah. what they're talking about. And everybody's oh like, God. oh, they got the energy. And, and I buy it most of the Pope time. Planet Although there's, cer- there's certain clues. Um, <laughs> Dave yeah, just chimed in with white guys. <laughs> which is true. It's mostly, well, white guys have certainly led the way. Um, <laughs> path breakers. Path yeah. breakers. <laughs> yeah. Salute you. Something breakers. Um. <laughs> Rule breakers. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, yeah. murderers. Um. Look at January 6th, we're talking treason. <laughs> Land we'll <break>. stealers. <laughs> They'll break anything. Um, Good. So, Jane, I gave you a movie to watch this this week. Um, you did. You really did. And, I, mean, um, you do. I don't know why I said it like that. <laughs> you're like, for once you showed up with a damn movie, Brandon. Um, and, um, yeah. 
so I gave you the movie of um, Crooklyn, 1994's Crooklyn, a Spike Lee joint, um, mm-hmm. to watch this week. Um, and before we dive into it, I have a synopsis um, that I will read for the um, for the people listening. You know, I love it. Go for it. Thanks, Jane. Thank you for giving me the okay. Spike Lee takes us on a bombastic and ruminative journey into the heart of 1970s Brooklyn in the beloved coming-of-age tale that is 1994's Crooklyn. The movie unfolds like a psychedelic tapestry as it transports us back in time to the 1973 New York brownstone of the Carmichael Bunch. There is never a dull moment in this family, as husband and wife, Woody and Carolyn, raise their spirited brood of offspring, Clinton, Wendell, Joseph, Nate, and last but not least, Troy, the lone girl in a sea of brash and lively brothers. Don't worry, nine-year-old Troy gives as good as she gets, and it is through her eyes that much of this story unfolds. She serves as a kind of narrator, as she takes us on a journey through the tumults of her parents' at times stressful but always love-filled marriage, and the comings and goings of the Brooklyn neighborhood's colorful cast of characters. At her parents' insistence, Troy is uprooted from her East Coast dwellings to the unfamiliar comforts of a summer in the South. She is left in the care of her father's older brother, Clem, and his opinionated and pooch-obsessed wife, Song. Troy bonds with their daughter, Viola, but struggles to adjust to the foreign surroundings and gentility of the South. At Troy's insistence, her trip to Dixie is cut short, and after eight weeks away, she returns to the familiarity of her home in New York. Troy soon discovers that her beloved mother, Carolyn, is grappling with a mysterious illness. Troy struggles to navigate the possibility of a world without her mother and negotiate a broadening and ever-changing identity in her neighborhood and family. Once you take this journey through Crooklyn, you won't want to leave. <laughs> it sounded like you were asking a question. It did. I know. I noticed mm-hmm. it. It's almost like a like a distant like when a song ends on a distant chord and you're like yeah waiting yeah. with like you know. But I like it. I actually liked it because I felt like it was a good um, period to put on the end of the synopsis for this movie because this movie is just a um, it's that similar take where it's like there are a lot of lovely things about this world and a lot of um, really difficult things about this world. Mm -hmm. And so it was like that sort of meshing of the two. Like, would you want to leave? I don't know. You know? Yeah, I mean, but I mean, I think sort of like the the. I think when I think about like not wanting to leave, I think also about like obviously my own like the naivete at times, you know, mm-hmm. that you that 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 comes with childhood and like mm-hmm. that like you know he does such a great job as the movie opens with like painting that picture of like summertime in New York and like these children out you know and I read that like you know they had to sort of teach all these kids how to play these games because kids don't do that anymore and actually at this point in New York there was a lot of violence and stuff so kids weren't like chilling outside like playing hopscotch and jump rope you know what I mean yeah that was my first note about this was that like beautiful and it's like a pretty long montage of Mm -hmm. um, kids and adults and teenagers and people just being outside of their house in Brooklyn in this neighborhood, playing different games, talking to each other, sharing food, um, you know, sharing stories and all that kind of stuff. And it's just like you get like that feeling of this community that existed. um, Well, they they don't ever tell you what year it is, but like 
it's I guess it's it, like through it's, the process of elimination. It's 1973. So. Yeah. Um, and and I, yeah, I didn't know at the time, but like. <clears throat> I guess because of like the Knicks playoffs or something like that, it had to be 1973. Yeah, <clears throat> and I think it aligned with a lot of um, Spike's childhood, and um, it's semi-autobiographical. Yeah. His sister, um, who I know that he said I saw that it was two of his siblings um, helped mm-hmm. um, work on the script. I know that Aunt yeah. Maxine, who plays um, the the redhead, she's she's the sis, she's the um, she's Troy's aunt. Who um, married is married his, to Uncle Brown? Yeah, his yeah, his yeah. brother, Woody's um, but, brother. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but that's his. That's Spike Lee's sister, and she's in a lot of his films. And I think she helps oh. co-write the script. And you can see it now when you think about her. And when yeah. She, her, you know, because she yeah, looks so much yeah. like him. I did not. I knew that his he and his siblings wrote it, mm-hmm. um, but. I didn't realize that she was in it. Yeah, yeah. That's crazy. Um, Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, everybody also in this movie is so fantastic. Like, I think it's such a risk to make a movie where, like, your main character is a kid. Yeah. And, like, who they interact with is other kids. Yeah. And not for a second did I waver in believing this world that was built by um, Troy and her brothers and the family obviously everyone's a part of it but i really did feel like troy was like the person that we were i mean you know yeah was had main character energy and i do want to go on record saying that i would die for troy um <laughs> she was i just like when i think about her i get like so soft-hearted and like she was such a wonderful character and like the things that she had to go through in this movie and then even like after this movie ends I was thinking about like you know her teenage years Mm -hmm. and her early 20s and where she's at and if she would stay in Brooklyn and I also think Mm -hmm. about like this was like before you know crack hit which had a huge huge effect on a lot of communities in Brooklyn and the New York City boroughs um, to begin with and so like to see this Brooklyn this is not one that like I understand or know because I wasn't born yet and the Brooklyn that I heard about in my you know in my youth was like all about you know there's tons of crack in Brooklyn and you know bed is a really dangerous place and all that kind of stuff and now that we're older now it's all gentrified and these beautiful brownstones that everybody's in are like now like millions of dollar home million dollar homes that you know um white people live in so it's just interesting to see this snapshot oh yeah there's like those it's so funny when you think about like jay-z obviously like you know Mm -hmm. new york you know a a person that i think of when i think of new york um and um jay-z's a rapper by the way everyone if you um, haven't heard, he's Beyonce's husband, and he actually has some. Um, uh, he dabbles. Yeah, a following as a rapper. Yeah, he's got like you know ten or ten or fifteen. Um, I know like hardcore people that listen to his stuff on SoundCloud mainly. Mm-hmm, um, but he's putting out an album soon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but I, I remember on uh, four forty four um, the album that he released. I'm a big hip hop head, so I can just drop albums like that. Um, but I remember he talks. <laughs> About, um, but he mentions on one of the songs on the album, he talks about like, pro- he's because it's like Jay Z, like as a rapper, the, it's like, what do you rap about as a billionaire? Um, right. 
but exactly. he's rap, but he raps about property and like how he didn't like how he didn't buy buy um buy these these buildings and he's like pissed off with himself because now they're worth like millions. He's talking about yeah. flipping your money, which is honestly something he was talking about before. It was just he was talking about drugs the and drugs. now he's talking yeah. about real estate and like buying Monet paintings and stuff. Right. Um, you know, which I can relate to, um, just because of, of where I exist within society, um, but. Most people can't. Um, yeah, where are you hiding all of those Monets, by the way? I have them all over. I have them in, um, you know, I love Switzerland, obviously. Um, you, you love know, Switzerland. Yeah, and that's all I'm going to say about that. Um, I can't so you say anymore. So are you are you claiming that you own property in Switzerland that houses a bunch of Monets? No, 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 never that. <laughs> Um, let's just say your boy's going to be comfortable, you know? He did wink. Um, you guys, he did wink at the no. Zoom camera when he said no, that. No, I didn't. I just, you... I'm keeping all of us honest. No, you winked. You did it. You're the winker. Uh, winkler. Uh, but, yeah, so I think that, like, be, this movie, like, captures, like, this really special time. But also for mm-hmm. me, I'm I'm way, way younger. Way, way younger. But I remember, <laughs> like, I think I was sort of, like, right at the end of this whole of this whole thing, you know, like, and so it's like those, these movies, these like early nineties movies where like, mm-hmm. you're like, Oh, like, I mean, honestly, I was around the age, at, like when Zelda Harris, who played Troy made this movie, I was probably a close to around her age that she was in this mm-hmm. movie. Um, but yeah, I remember some of this and I, and like, it's that thing too of like, um, sort of, how your home isn't just your home. It extends beyond like the confines of like the four walls that you live in. Like, you so know, you're speaking about, you're speaking about like general outside community within your neighborhood. Oh, as, as opposed to New York in, in, in Oh yeah. In, obviously I'm okay. from the South, but I'm just speaking mm-hmm. to the atmosphere, like watching the movie, seeing like right. the kids and the adults on the porch, on the mm-hmm. stoops. It's like, I remember that. Like, I remember mm-hmm. like my great grandmother, like being on her porch, like half of her life. I like, like, if she was up, then she was on her porch, which also meant, like, she wanted company, you know? Like, right, and yeah. everybody in the neighborhood sort of, like, interacting with each other in that way and that mm-hmm. familiarity. And, like, we're going to be outside in the front yard until the sun goes down. Like, that whole thing. Like, that that's something that this movie sort of harkens back to also is just, like, the the simplicity of like you know childhood games you know out in the street in the front nobody's driving down the street too fast you know the kids playing like stickball like all of that is like a moment in time that obviously decades separated but i do remember mm-hmm. but i know i know that the kids don't do this anymore i had a conversation not too long ago when i was little we used to um go me and my cousins we used to go um around like my grandmother's neighborhood and we go out a little bit um but we go looking for blackberries and we'd all take mm-hmm. like either like a like a big bowl or like one of those 44 liter cups with us and mm-hmm. we would just fill it up with blackberries and i'd bring them home and i would my grandmother would give me a little bowl and then she would use the rest um to make like blackberry dumplings that was like one of my favorite oh my things God, that sounds and so, so i know my mouth is literally watering right now that's like idyllic Um, but we all would do it i I didn't have that experience really i mean you grew up in the south you grew up in a very specific area of the world like i grew up in a place where like you know east coast i mean you were on the east coast but it was a different like part of it and yeah and you guys were millionaires right you're (laughs) a kennedy aren't you jane um fuck no don't associate me with those those um oh 
where there's a lot of scandal and I don't want a part of it. Um, also, no, I'm not a millionaire. And I did not grow up as a millionaire. And I also didn't grow up with this, like, I mean, I, I had a different kind of vibe. You like, grew so up I in grew- a condo, though, too, right? So that's probably different, so, right? Well, I actually, when I was a kid, we had a house. And okay. then... Um, I didn't know that. Yeah, it, it 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 was a small house in a place called Somerville. Shout out to Somerville, which used to be like not a very nice place to live, which is why my parents bought a house in Cambridge because when we were ready to go to um, you know, to public school, they wanted us to go to better schools and so we bought a place the condo in Cambridge and that's where I grew up. But um in Somerville, we had a little yard and we would play there and we would have friends over and play there and stuff like that. But we didn't, we knew, I remember there was one neighborhood girl that we used to kind of play with, but there was also like, you know, um, a, a drunk unhoused person who would come and like sit in our, um, in our driveway and like yell at us from like our little backyard. Like we were in the little backyard and he would yell at us and I all would have like come and like yell at him and tell him to go away and stuff like that. So it was like, it wasn't like she didn't want us to like venture out from like our little fenced in place that we were in. And then by the time, and also like I didn't go to school with the kids in my neighborhood because I didn't go to public school. So oh, yeah, no, that wasn't like. <laughs> there's no way for me to say that I went to private school without it sounding. No, rich you and- said it perfectly. <laughs> but yeah, so a lot of the kids that I went to school with did not live in my neighborhood. Um, so yeah, so I never experienced this. So I, when I watched this, it was a, like nostalgia for a time that I never experienced. You know what I mean? Yeah, you didn't like have that that moment. And also, like, I mean, well, this is New York, and I mean, mm-hmm. I think that obviously my experience was very different. But I think that mm-hmm. just like the culture, also these neighborhoods right. that obviously are like predominantly like POC, like right. you know, there's music playing. There's, I mean, it's a culture. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's an extension of the culture. And obviously, like me being in the South, in in these you know majority black neighborhoods, you yeah. know, that was a a big part of it too. Was just like mm-hmm. this was the way that we gathered. This was the way that we celebrated. So that part of it, I connect with. Even you know, obviously being separated from a different from like thousands of miles away from where this was happening. But I still feel like, I still feel this sort of like, um, this sort of like closeness to it, you know? And this movie's Mm -hmm. always, for many reasons, always had like a very special place in my heart. And, you know, and when I was reading on it, I saw that Spike Lee said that, and it's not a surprise, but it was just sweet to see, but he said, this is his most beloved film. And I was like, totally, like totally, it totally makes sense. But you're right, though. Yeah. And I wonder, like, if that has to do with me growing up with, a, you know, in a white family, being a white person and not mm. having that sense of community that you might have being in, like, a predominantly black neighbor or area. I don't know if you call it a neighborhood or whatever in Louisiana. And, like, having, you know, that sense of community there that, like, you know, there isn't really that same thing within, like, you know. It's interesting. White. I don't, I mean, I don't know there if there were like, I mean, if we have any listeners, feel free to share um, with us. Mm-hmm. But if there are any people that grew up in neighborhoods like this, white people, you know, other obviously 
brown people POC anyone like we'd love to yeah. hear especially like given like the different regions that people grow up in um, because I think that Spike Lee does such a great job of making this very sort of like I, I feel like so much of the time and care in this movie went into atmosphere which is yeah. oh, it's such a huge thing one of the things that I think Spike Lee's so masterful um, at constructing in, um, in his films is he really sort of like like it was one of those things that we were talking about with Darnell Martin um, some weeks and weeks ago when we um, watched I Like It Like That, another film mm. set in a neighborhood in New York yeah, that had absolutely. like that same sort of like vibe. It was like mm-hmm. you could feel you could feel like the heat. Like it's just like right. these kids outside. Somebody's gotten a wrench and we're now we're using like, you know, um, oh, my God, what's it called, Jane? The fire hydrant. We're using the fire hydrant as like. <laughs> Um, a sprinkler for the neighborhood, like that kind of thing, though. It's like right. all of that energy. It's like you feel like you're transported back to this place. And this film has that same that same sort of quality. And so that was one of the that's one of the things that I think I picked up on this movie, watching it again as an adult was just like, mm-hmm. it's such a vibe. And like there's it's so much such a vibe. care yeah. put into creating the vibe for the film and like really painting the picture of like not just this family, but like the neighborhood that they mm-hmm. that they all exist in. And I obviously I know that like maybe you don't necessarily connect with like this sort of version of childhood completely but like Mm -hmm. I know one thing that I I watched the movie and I thought I know Jane probably does connect with this and that is antagonizing siblings Um, (laughs) absolutely I mean here's it's not to say that I don't connect with this like version of of childhood but I I I actually see that and I wish I had it more yeah 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 I think because there was always so much like I think about how much like my parents were involved in in managing what we did and um you know dropping us off somewhere or picking us off you know what i mean or or making a quote-unquote play date and it's like mm-hmm. i love the idea of just having you know walked outside of your you know walk outside of your um house and you have a million friends waiting for or you, you know, walk to the store and you see a bunch of people and, you know, chat and whatever. Or you verbally attack them, either one, because it's sort it's, of like... It's a mixed bag, baby. Even, it's a mixed bag. Welcome to the neighborhood. People, like... People did spend a lot of time yelling at each other, but like there was like there was like a, a lightness to it, sort of like a love yeah. behind the you know the bickering, like you and me, I guess you could say. It's 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 very true. I, I feel mm-hmm. like that type of we weren't really. Uh, we weren't monitored per se. Um, <laughs> we were really loosed on the neighborhood. I do remember like me and my cousins, when we would go visit my grandmother in Louisiana and me and my cousins uh, up until I was like a teenager, we didn't live in the same parts of Texas. We lived in completely different parts of Texas. So like that mm-hmm. was when we would all get together. And we were my grandmothers. And I remember like my grandmother, like waking us up and being like, get out of my house and like basically (laughs) like I want you gone for the day and it's like my grandmother would spend the day like cleaning and then we all of us would come back in like covered in like god knows what smelling like as my grandmother would say like pole cats I don't even know what pole cats (laughs) are what is a pole cat I have no idea but that's always what my grandmother said y'all smell like pole cats but no, but like I know that like I had I have a taste of this. I'm an only child. Um, I you know mm-hmm. I grew up in a single parent household. It was just me, and my mom, and so I had it when I would visit my cousins, and I it was mm-hmm. and I always remember like, being sort of like 
becoming a part of the chaos that was their lives because it was oh, like... Oh, you mean like the you, sibling rivalry? Oh, yeah, that part so of it chaos. where you yeah. where the adults leave and it becomes like... Like the level oh. of violence increases like exponentially <laughs> and it's like, Absolutely. oh, this is... This is lawless. Like, there's no people here. If I tell on anybody, I'm going to get beat up. So it's like, you're just, get ready to play the Hunger Games, baby. No, you can't, you can't tell, because you can't tell on your sibling. First of all, my sister would always tell on me. I never told on her. My brother was much older than us, so he was always very nice to us. He did not participate in the, actually, he would try to break it up a lot. Um, But my sister and I were vicious. And a lot of, like, our family friends that we grew up with experienced this too it's like it'd be like a group of us like our parents would all get together and then we'd be in the back bedroom watching tv or something like that and it would go down and it would be um you know you can't t- I, I i like to describe myself um to use your phrase as a real one and i did not tattle on my sister that much but she she used to tattle on me all the time but the reason one of the reasons why i didn't tattle on my sister is because if i did it would come back later tenfold you know what i mean so oh, i yeah. would pay for it i would pay for it but yeah we used to tear tear the shit out of each other I, and yeah, so this I always was felt very that. like very nostalgic watching these siblings like interact and go crazy and tell on it's, each other and all that. It's also got to be different too when it's like five of you. You know what I mean? That's like, so many kids. Yeah, that's like it's a completely different, and you can tell like kind of what the hierarchy is as well mm-hmm. because you see like that Clinton and Wendell sort of like run the show as the two older brothers, totally. and you see that the mm-hmm. other towards the end of the movie, I think it becomes a little bit clearer and you know in one of her last moments you know with her mother you see how she says you have to look out for you know your little oh brother and like mm-hmm. I know oh my god no I, I know I, I I know it's coming and it's still like I just lose it when she comes out in the little outfit and like ooh child starts playing it's just like it breaks my heart it is just like all I think the whole time is like no child should have to should have to deal with like it's just it's so painful and it's like her dad oh god Alfred Woodard and Del and Delroy Lindo are so good in this film so good in this movie so they play the mother and father and the <sighs> if you guys haven't watched this movie the point we're referencing is that later in the movie the mother gets sick with cancer and passes away and there's a moment where Aunt Maxine gives her this dress to wear and she's like I don't I would never wear that my mom hated polyester <laughs> and then which I thought was such a good line and like I didn't realize when I was watching this movie because they don't they the thing about the this movie does so well is like it handles these sort of big painful life moments with the same gravity that like you have to handle it within real life. And what I mean is that they don't tell you that the mother dies, you just find out that she's getting ready for this funeral and she still has to push on. And so, like, even though it really brought to light, like, the fact that, like, even though these horrible things happen in your life, and a lot of movies do these very dramatic scenes where you're sitting alone crying in your bedroom, and how could I, you know, be dealing with this? And those moments exist for sure. And we've seen a lot of those moments. But what I loved was that, like, they handle this, like, the world continues to, to turn, the wheels spin, we have to keep moving and we have to do the things that we have to do and I thought they did such a good 
uh, they they dealt with this in in such a real way where it's like you can't not go to your mother's funeral because you don't want to wear a polyester dress you know and your dad comes and he he talks you and you know talks you into it and they have a very sweet moment and she goes and she handles her business and she's 10 years old she shouldn't have to handle her fucking business but she does and she does it with you know as much grace as possible and i just really liked how they did that i think they did um another place where they did this is when um you know uh carolyn the mother played by alfie alfie Woodard, um kicks the husband woody out of the house because she's frustrated with him. They have a lot of like financial difficulties and he's not really participating the way that she wants him to. And so um, she kicks him out of the house. And again, in so many other movies, they have these moments where it's like crying in your bedroom and you watch your father get into a cab with a suitcase packed or whatever. And it's very dramatic and whatever. But I love the way that they handle this where it was just like, all right, I'm, I'm taking off. Like, I, I'll check in with you guys in the morning. Like, you know, he says his goodbye to the kids. It wasn't a final goodbye or anything like that. It was just like, me and your mom need some space and we're taking it. And like, I just felt like that was so much more of a realistic way of handi- handling like a, te- you know, a temporary separation between those two characters than like the, that like, you know these moments that are so dramatic sometimes we're like the little girl is like what well, little girl's holding on her dad's leg and has to be pulled off and she's screaming and as opposed right. to just sort of like it's a reality of this specific moment it's not a forever reality but this is what's happening and and like right. adults navigating it too like let's right. let's move through this as opposed to the dad having this dramatic moment where you know in front of the kids or just like i can't believe you're doing this to me and all this it's mm-hmm. like it feels more it feels like true to life not that those other things don't happen but it's nice to sort of like see where spike decided to sort of place the value um right. and what he decided to highlight and i think that while you were talking i actually had an epiphany kind of about this movie i maybe completely wrong i'm sure spike lee's listening to this podcast and thinking to himself that knucklehead's mm-hmm. way off um <laughs> but one of the things i thought about watching the movie yesterday and it's come up already there's there's certain things in this film that like they don't pin things down um mm-hmm. they don't pin down the year of the movie we're only giving mm-hmm. context clues they don't um they don't pin down really like the death of the mother in like a sort of absolute way mm-hmm. um they was the 19, what was the other thing? They don't when Troy takes the trip to the South. They never say where she's at in the South. Um, they I just think they evi- do say Virginia. Did they say Virginia? I'm pretty sure they said Virginia. Oh man, okay, well, but I have throws to my, check that. That throws my theory out of whack. Then. Well, no, I'm, Dave. Can you check that? My theory. That? Well, he Dave said. Well, yes. Yes, Dave. Okay, Dave's trying. Right. In. That. Yeah. No. That's what. Yeah. That's, that's what I was. Gonna, yeah. I won't. Okay. Here's the thing. This is my show. <laughs> okay, no, I love you. Thank you. You're absolutely right, David. That's exactly what I was going to say. I love you. I was going to say, it feels like it's the perspective of a child, where these little things don't yes. really matter so much. And it makes sense that that would be the way that the death was I handled. Agree. Because it is sort of her taking in uh, of the moment. That makes sense why, like, the like it's like we only see what she sees. Like, those moments when the and dad leaves. And what she leaves, remembers, it's like, And what too. she remembers, yeah. And so it's I like... Yeah, sorry. Sorry, I was going to say, I had the same epiphany when I was watching this movie where it was like, and the moment that actually solidified that for me, where it's like, okay, this is this is the kid's story. This is what they remember about their childhood and living in this beautiful house with this family is 
when when the father came back, he was just there. There was no explanation. Yeah. He was just back at home. And what he is at, you know, he's comforting Troy when she was having a nightmare. And um, she, you know, she just opens her eyes and there's her father and then wakes up to have breakfast the next morning. And he's there and they're having breakfast and they're joking around again. And I was like, this is that 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 was what solidified this for me and what made this such an interesting, you know, point of view I think telling this family this story about this family is that this is really definitely told by an adult reflecting back on their childhood and this is what they remember and it says a lot about I think there's something to be learned from this in a way than me getting so boxy Um, no but I think there is because I think that like it speaks to the way that like a lot of times like children do such a good job of not sweating the small stuff um, yes. They don't live well, they don't know in like how much it affects them at the time. Yeah, and, or the, and they and they sort of celebrate. You know, the moments in the mind of a child that they celebrate are going to be different, and it's not so much bogged down by the minutia. You know, at times like the little tiny, you know, complexities aren't necessarily um, where it lives, and I think that it makes sense too because. One of my favorite things about this movie, um, I love obviously all of the the music, lots of just really amazing 70s soul music, like classics. Um, so, and, I mean, yeah, the and is incredible. It's so good. And it's all woven with handpicked by Spike Lee, which totally makes sense. Um, yeah. Uh, but it's also woven with this really beautiful Terrence Blanchard score that I love mm. um, in this film and those moments where the score comes in, which are always the moments with Alfre Woodard's character. And she's mm-hmm. sort of like, she's not perfect. She's not painted no. to be like this perfect, but there is something perfect about her. She's, she's, um, she's perfectly who she is. She's perfect. She's perfect in like, within herself and there are these you know yeah sorry that, uh, no no I, that, I was just, I was just gonna say it. that 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 perfection that you talk about her being a very real person it is it reminds me of how you look at your mother when you're a mm-hmm. kid you're like absolutely this this woman is the most beautiful woman in the world she is the most together woman in the world she takes care of me and my family she mm-hmm. is you know um the head of this family i mean obviously mm-hmm. you think of your dad as well and you know and in different ways as well but it really was a portrait of a mother who like you know um was seen through her her nine-year-old daughter's eyes Mm -hmm. and again giving room for those imperfections as well but you know i i i thought she played it so well um and i i really loved every time she was on the screen it just felt like um you know watching my mother as a kid. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sense. And you always believe her. That's the thing I always yes. love about Alfie Woodard as an actress. She's so... She just is so underrated. She's so mm-hmm. incredible. She brings so much to every part that she plays, and this mm-hmm. is a perfect example. She's the thing that I remember the most about this film. Obviously, mm-hmm. it's it's me being, like, the mama's boy that I am, but mm-hmm. she is, like, the heartbeat of this family. And that thing that they capture, which is funny for me to, I guess, be so so aware of it. I think I probably experienced it more with my grandmother than I did with my mother because I was an only child and so I didn't have to share my mother. But Mm -hmm. I... He does such a good job of illuminating um, the unique sort of, like, gift that is, like, quiet time and, like, moments where you just get to sort of be in conversation with your mother. Mm -hmm. I can only imagine for, like, 
a child, uh, you know, one of five children, you know, yeah. what that means. But like, it it feels like almost even up to the point before, you know, we find out about her illness and everything, but it feels like, you know, and I'm sure in retrospect, it's her looking back on it, but they feel like gold. Like mm-hmm. those moments when Troy wakes up and like the Terrence Blanchard, you know, score is sort of swelling and she comes downstairs and her mom is just sitting in the chair having her tea and she says, hey, ladybug. And they have this moment where they connect and it feels like priceless like it's just this quiet sort of like moment and within like the chaos and you know this hectic world Mm -hmm. it's like this quiet moment of being sort of like enveloped in you know all of those wonderful things that make up a mother and like it's just you know you getting to sort of share your thoughts and she's looking at you and only at you and it's just it's something there's something so peaceful about it and something that feels so um so special and so sacred. And yeah. I think that's that Spike does a really great job of framing those moments. And that's mm-hmm. a part of what makes them sort of like priceless and special. Um, but you can just, you pick up on the fact that she has this sort of like unique thing with each of her children. You know, we're only yeah. really seeing it mainly through Troy's eyes, but you see the ways that she allows her children to sort of be their own people, mm-hmm. but she's always home base. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Alfred does a I great think- job of it. I think she does an incredible job of it as well. And, you know, it just it just goes to show, too, it's like Woody, the father, who is a really great father, loves yeah. his kids, loves his wife. Absolutely. Um, but, you know, is not where he wants to be professionally. He's a jazz musician, and he, I think, made a lot of money playing for other people and now really wants to do his own thing. And I think, you know that brings up a number of issues between Mm. the two just because it's Mm -hmm. really difficult to do that and she you know when they have that argument about how she's like you have to tell me about the checks that you write and you have to tell me you know um like i'm trying to keep our head above water and you can't just be writing these checks without it and he he it was really interesting watching that conversation because i felt like he kept turning it into something else aside from what she was trying to focus on she kept being like that's fine you need to tell me when you write a check that's fine you need to tell me when you write a check and he's like i used to make money around here blah, blah blah and it was just like the defensiveness of a person who felt out of control and i thought that that was such a a, a well-written and acted conversation between um you know a married couple talking about finances and then also um, you know, being able to see like, you know, I when someone, you know, if Tara brings up something to me or whatever, like I, you always like particularly, in, you know, in a couple or within a relationship, like it is so easy to like just immediately try to take the conversation somewhere else. So the heat <laughs> just stays off of you a little bit. I just really recognize that in him. And like I it, it, not in a way where I was like. Um, you like you're a shitty father or a shitty husband. I just actually felt like you know, like empathy with him in that moment because I was like, oh man, I know what you're doing, and I know it's because you don't feel good about you. And I think that that's a testament again to the writing and the acting of that scene, which um was great. No, I think you're right. I think that like it's like you 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 feel for him because it's like. I can only imagine this father of five, you know, you're at this can point you in your life. Can imagine having five children? No, no, no. I cannot. No, 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 no. Um, no, no. But 
I mean that, but it's like, oh, it's like, but I don't stop being a person. And it's like, you have this epiphany in that. I want to do something more. I want to fulfill myself. I don't, I don't want to wait. You know, I I don't want to be 60 or 70 and finally have the courage to go after the thing that I want. Like, and I'm unfulfilled and I have to figure out a way to be fulfilled. And so it's like, and the thing is that she's and and she plays it so well because she's so comfortable in her rightness. Like, she's just like, no, everything you're saying is great. But it's also like, it's him. It's the argument that they're having is is like Woody being like, this is what I need. I need you to do this for me. I need this space. I need for you to respect me. I need to feel like I am like a valid and needed part of this family. I need to feel like I'm the head of this household. And it's her saying, my children need food on the table. We yeah, need to keep exactly. these lights on. Like it's never <laughs> about her. And like also, yes. Alfred Woodard has this ability. She has this authority as an actress, but she has this ability at times to like, she says things and they are so, they're so cutting like mm-hmm. and it's not and it's not even like the line itself in the, in the hands of like a lesser actor it wouldn't be but she <laughs> brings this sort of authority to it like yeah. there's that moment there's like there's that moment when they're like they're taking Troy all the kids are in the, the car and they're going to um, uh, ostensibly Virginia to drop off Troy in the south and the kids are all asleep and then they sort of start in on this little bit of a fight and he's basically say, asking for some sort of like grace or whatever and there, it's actually almost like a it starts out as this quiet, nice moment. And it's, mm-hmm. but it feels so real too, because it's like, and all of a sudden, and she looks at him and she's like, she's like, oh, he says, I need you to support me. And she says, support you. And she says, she says, she says, what did she say? She says, she says, um, she says, so support you. If this is, if well done for you, if taking care of your children coming home from work every day, if that's not support, I don't know what is. And it's like the yeah, way she, she says it. All the things. Oh she yeah. Does too. Yeah. And it and is she's like, like, she's like, whew. I cook your, I, I cook dinner for your children. I clean the house. I work, I work a full-time job. I grade papers. I, you know, make lesson plans. I spend time with my children. If that isn't support, I don't know what is. And I was like, girl, you have, first of all, that, that list was, Lock and, locked and loaded as it should locked be. <laughs> and loaded. Seared into my brain and I'm going to sear it into yours, baby boy. The next time you come. You ask what at... time dinner's ready. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, yeah. And Dave said, he does. He says, thank you. And um, yeah. it's, and yeah, that's the only thing you can say. That um, is the only thing the, you can say. And he did the right thing. <laughs> but the moment in the fight, too, where she like looks at him, it's towards the end of the argument. He sort of storms off and she just goes, oh, grow up. And yeah. it's like, <laughs> it it's is like, just, it's, it's the look and the up and down and the, oh my God, grow up. Like it's so, yeah. it's so, she's, it needed she, to be said. She's running that. She's running this house, and she is like, she's like, I have five children to raise. Like to keep, like I have to keep these kids fed and clothed, and like that is my number one priority. And she never means, and she never brings up herself in the no. whole argument. She's like, I don't she's, need to. I'm not. I have nothing to defend. These are just the facts. And right. he's trying to defend this sort of this this shifting sort of like need within him creatively, which is valid and valuable. And like, I understand it, but she is very firm in the fact that like, I, I think it's almost like I have the truth on my side, so I don't have to, there's, I don't have to give you a thesis statement. My truth is, is the life that we live and is the facts of the situation. Like, and it's one of those fights too, where it's like when you're in a relationship, obviously I don't have the stressors of five children. Mm -hmm. um, But when you're in a relationship, it's so like you said earlier it's like 
there's always something you can pull at. There's always <laughs> something. So somebody coming to you with whatever the thing is that they're coming to you with, it's always a possibility to pull something out of your back pocket and like yeah. and to which stay is on what brief. You should not do like and that's the thing we learned very early on. Me and Tara was like, we need to be talking about what is happening right now because we could go on for hours and hours about all of all you know <laughs> everything that you know the other doesn't do right but is that you know. is that why you think our relationship didn't work out jane me and you our marriage me and you anyways crooklyn so yeah so that is like a really there's also there's this thing too about that i i love like i love troy's like vengeance i love the way troy's so petty i, I love the love way her. that she like gets hers but they're all like they're all so like it's just it's this thing about the way that like and i again i've only experienced it with my cousins but i do remember getting like crash courses and just the fact that like oh, we just do what we want around here mm-hmm. um it's all about who's the strongest um but i like there's the <laughs> moment when like Troy or the com- most manipulative or the most manipulative that's a very good point mm-hmm. Troy like comes in she gets like a little bit of change she goes to the store she gets like some snacks she comes back in and I thought to myself too it's like you're just showing your whole hand you're being so smug she had her bag of snacks and she was just like I'm gonna flaunt these in your face it's like you know that's not gonna fly in this room like of and course they just- you're gonna snatch out of your hands and she was like no I'm not sharing it and then her brother like snatched it from her and she's like like, fine, okay, okay. It's like, it's like <laughs> the leverage you has re- shifted. <laughs> renegotiate the terms. <laughs> yeah, as you realize that, like, you, you're you barely holding on to, like, <laughs> any anything. The only thing, at this point, it's like you're just getting, like, you're just getting this out of, out of like, the, the sliver of respect that they have for you. Because it's like, you don't really have a leg to stand on, Ma. <laughs> oh, my God. No, 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 no. I, okay, okay. <laughs> Splitsies. 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 <laughs> <laughs> so so I I remember when I was a kid, like one thing my sister would do a lot with me is like, and I like didn't I didn't wise up for a long time, but like we would be sitting in the back of the car, and like I'm sure like our parents would have gotten us each an equal treat, and then like <clears throat> Georgia would like quote-unquote eat all of hers and then she would like and then i'd be like oh i still have some left shouldn't have eaten it so fast like (laughs) running my damn mouth like an idiot and then i would like make her watch me eat whatever sweet treat i was like going like really indulge over and be like "Mm, oh my god it's so good i love it i can't believe you ate that so fast and then i would finish it and she would pull out like another half of her treat Nice. <laughs> to be like you dumb impatient bitch you do not know who you're dealing with and then make me watch her eat the rest of her treat in pure satisfaction and me and like you just screaming probably <laughs> <laughs> and like it took me years to wise up from that <laughs> were you one of those siblings who like also didn't let your sibling like have peace when they had like friends over and stuff like that (laughs) okay well objection leading the witness um (laughs) so i'd love to hear from all of you younger siblings out there who had cool older siblings and who um wanted to hang out with those siblings sometimes when they had their friends over when you know you really had nothing going on and (laughs) (laughs) being locked out of my sister's room and 
banging on the door, <laughs> screaming, being like, hey, let me hang out with you. Come on. And be like, mom, tell her she has to hang out with me. And my mom would be like, why don't you go do something in your room? Like, go read a book or whatever. And I'd be like, no, you have to hang out with me, which is. As I have gotten older, realized maybe the worst way to make someone want to spend time with you. It's also like the energy when you get in the room is not going to be authentic anyway. Nobody, they're not talking about any of the stuff that they'd be talking about if you weren't there. So you're getting this watered down version. But then there's this, probably this sick pleasure in that even because you're like, weekend interrupted. <laughs> I know this right, isn't the conversation you want to be having. <laughs> I remember she you see it really vicious and like our poor friends who like somehow like I remember in the messy middle got, and they were like oh my god I remember they were just like let your sister hang out with us because like the alternative is so much worse my sister was like no <laughs> but your girl never gave up mm. and uh, <laughs> I remember there, my sister and her friends were watching the movie copycat one time mm. and I really wanted in on that and I ruined the movie for everybody because <laughs> they were all trying to watch it and I put on an absolute fucking scream fest of a tantrum that 1,000% checks out. Yeah. I don't even think I was like, I don't remember how old I was, but probably too old to be doing that kind of thing. We do in this movie. We always have to talk about it. We do get mm. one, I believe, crazy faggot um, in the film. I, there's two for sure. Were there two? Okay. Well, were the two. word, the bomb, the F-bomb has been dropped twice. I okay, think two yeah. or three times. And I'm always is, like, I'm always like... <gasps> When, like I'm aware of it in this way that like mm-hmm. when you hear certain obviously as everybody knows who's, who's a brain yeah when you hear certain words it affects you differently um, but yeah like it's like I these movies especially when Jane and I go back we go back you know we're watching a movie from like you know like n- the 90s 80s anytime where it's like what are we about to get into it happens all the time here too we watch a lot of like 80s and 90s sitcoms in this house so we have a lot of moments where like something happens <laughs> And Dave and I are both like, oh, yeah. And it's like something you've watched a million times, and it's like, I guess when I watched it the first time, I just accepted it. This was just a fact of life. Yeah. And now I'm like, oh, don't love that. Because, that. Yeah, that hurts. It's right in the right in the heart. I think it's interesting because it's like, well, I mean, obviously your tolerance for um, certain slurs has, you know, goes up and cha- language changes and evolves, and there's certain things that are like maybe didn't prickle the back of your neck in the same way they do now. Um, but yeah, it's, it was the the stinky homosexual man who lived next door with tons of dogs. Which like I <laughs> that was my only complaint about this movie is that like I wanted to know more about this smelly ass um, reclusive homosexual man co- covered in dogs. Like, what's his story? But it's also the thing too that's a part of that is also like, was he even gay? Like there was no. In- oh yeah, maybe not. They did have him in. Um, tight checkered bell bottoms and a white crop top so that felt pretty gay to me but you never know 
Yeah, that's a good point. I I was also going to bring up briefly. Okay, obviously we we really did um, have a big you know loss this week. You guys are seeing this episode a couple of weeks later, but like we lost an icon. We lost uh, Miss Betty White, like first lady oh, of television. Yeah. You know, her birthday was coming up on the seventeenth of January. So excited! Almost um, made it to one hundred. Almost made it to a hundred. Um, but Dave, the the night before, I had Dave watch the proposal for the first time no so, way yeah um and so yeah and i'm getting there dave yeah and the proposal had like some really like some moments in it that like we were both looking at each other like oh like there was like that weird like there's that weird like i don't know what it is it's not i guess it's not it's like co-opting i guess more than like there's like the moment with like Betty White like out like doing the chants in the wood in the oh woods, and it's like yeah Ugh. that I forgot about that I, I don't I don't really remember that movie that well I should rewatch it but it yeah that definitely just anytime you are you are doing like a, a white person doing like a weird ceremonial thing that doesn't have any ties to any sort of Do native you community or your culture. and like it's like making doing it for laughs like you know you got a problem on your hands yeah yeah like this wasn't like us like res- like respectfully like observing anything remotely mm-hmm. true about anything <laughs> but they're like those moments even with a movie from like oh nine it's like but I, yeah. I always think that though what we were what was going on in like the early aughts and it's just like there was some wild stuff happening there was some real wild and stuff <clears throat> we were all just like I don't know I was probably still just like don't look at me you know <laughs> well I just like can't believe that we've shifted so quickly I feel like it's been a it's been a shift from like I remember when people used to drop the F word all the time or when people oh, yeah. used to refer to stuff as being gay and then obviously Hillary Duff changed the game with those um, commercials thank goodness that she was brave enough to flip the switch um, actually I'd straight up I do really I love that she did those commercials but they're hilarious if you they're watch so, them now. yeah they're so funny they're so you should, good. You should Google them if you haven't seen them. They're the Hillary Duff like um, anti um, gay bullying commercials from like the early aughts, and they're so funny. She's like, "Did you know that when you say gay, you're actually saying that gay is?" But I don't remember what it is. But it's, it's like so it's like a girl and her friends like at like you know uh, at a clothing store tr- and she comes out in like some top and then her friends are like oh my god take that off Becky that's so gay and Hillary Duff is like one you know one like you know aisle over and she pops her head around the corner and she's like hey um I don't know if you knew this but that's actually a derogatory, derogatory term that you're using that's like me saying that's so you know ugly girl in a messy Charlotte Russe top and <laughs> with a weird bump it on the top of her head. Cue it's exactly what the girl's wearing. Um, <laughs> not that intricate, but yes. <laughs> yeah, it's like... Yeah, yeah so exactly, funny, though. though. It's like, it's very, like, that. And then she saunters off in Hillary, in Hillary Duff fashion and does one of her dances that have recently gone viral online. <laughs> but, I mean, all that to say that, like, that campaign didn't take that... Uh, wasn't that long ago and I think we've shifted pretty pretty quickly yeah. from those things like being okay to say or at least like you know I, I there are some like I feel like um I feel like 
you know, when Seth Rogen was getting popular too, like some of his movies had the F word in it as well, oh, yeah. like maybe Knocked Up or something. I can't remember specifically, so I'm not like, don't get me wrong. I love Seth Rogen and he is like... No, get him, Jane. Get everybody. He's he's certainly um, maintained that he's, you know, um, some of his stuff hasn't aged well. And so I appreciate that. But um, yeah, it's just interesting because it doesn't feel that long ago, but then you run into those things. I mean, this is obviously 1994 supposed to be 1973 so I understand why they use it um, but you know it is sort of a, a jolt <laughs> um, there are also the moments in this movie there's like that thing um, which obviously it's like I was thinking about it from Troy's perspective but it's like when your parents and it's funny because like looking back on it I found myself wondering more like did Carolyn like know was that why she was you know but I kind of feel like no about getting Troy sort of there's like this conversation that Carolyn has with Troy about, hey, maybe you should go to the south and visit some of our relatives. Um, but I don't get the feeling that it has anything to do with her knowledge of herself in terms of her being sick or knowing that no, anything's going on. I think she's just sort of like a change of scenery. Um you're literally at battle with your brothers like constantly yeah. like I think there's something about her seeing Troy being the only daughter in her house and kind of like Troy herself she can she can um stand her ground for sure but I think of Troy as being this um a person who does love like those quiet moments and I think like the idea of sending her to Virginia where like I mean the Virginia house Aunt Song and Uncle Clem with their daughter it's Viola right? Viola Viola. it is the opposite Mm -hmm. of of what they're dealing with in Brooklyn and so I think she probably just wanted Troy to like have some time where she can breathe a little bit which I understand um, prob- I-, I can't imagine how intense it would be to grow up as the only girl with four fucking brothers <laughs> Like, yeah, so crazy. It's probably like a part of it was that, and obviously, like her brother Nate. They also mentioned briefly that like they're dropping Nate off somewhere as well. So it's clearly like right. I think them trying to maybe give some of the younger kids like an opportunity to just like <laughs> exist without the chaos of like right. you know their big their big brothers around. Um, mm-hmm. Is also that one of like you know Spike Lee's like you know one of the things that Spike Lee's known for is sort of the way that he plays around with like you know his cinematography. And like, there's the mm-hmm. moment when they get to Virginia where everything gets sort of smushed together in this way. Yeah, it's and it's weirdly just like distorted. It's like I this thought there was something wrong with our TV for a second. And, and in theaters, apparently, they were also putting up those warnings at the movie to let people know when this happens. Like, it's a part of the film. Like, wow, he was. Okay. It was like a. I think the way that I read it was he was trying to create that sort of claustrophobic that feel of like strange by squeezing everything together in this mm-hmm. sort of like cinematic picture because you see everything get sort of smushed together it was also supposed to sort of highlight like the foreignness of this environment I think for Troy it's so different mm-hmm. from the world that she's used to and I think that that was sort of what they were um, exploring but you're right it's like a completely different world and then we she sort of has this other like girl now too her cousin Viola her cousin, yeah. um, who mentions <laughs> multiple times that she's adopted and that like <laughs> these aren't her parents and so you don't have to respect them um, 
<laughs> which I thought was so fucking funny. She kept being like, I'm adopted. I don't, I, I hate these people. It's she's like, like, you can talk well, her about mom. Her mom, her mom, yeah, she, her mom uh, more than song, to be fair, was pretty um, insufferable. Yeah. Um, Aunt Song was, was like a lot. shady as hell. So shady. Like, oh, talking shit about her hair and her braids and her clothes. And it was like, what is your fucking problem? It was so spot on, though. Yeah. It was so the mm-hmm. South. Like, this, mm-hmm. like, middle-aged black woman in the South who has this way of doing things. Oh, my right. God. You've shown up. You've got your natural hair. Your hair isn't mm-hmm. pressed. Oh, my God. I've got work to do. And it's like, it's it's really interesting to see. I think that I think that the, the effect does its job because it's mm-hmm. like absolutely this, this world is so unlike, you know, the world of, you know, New York that um, and I think a lot of black folk, you know, I know a lot of people who are from the East Coast um, and even from the Midwest who talk about having like roots in the South and like going right. to visit. And that was a big thing with us. But we were constantly I grew up in Texas and Louisiana. We were constantly in Louisiana like every the weekend. But in like but when I was younger in the summertime, I would always go stay with my relatives in the South and it's like sometimes yeah it is it's like the value system and there's a difference between like small town Louisiana and like Dallas you know and you get into some of those small towns and it's like yeah the things that people focus on and like hair with black women and also probably yeah sorry I didn't mean to interrupt oh no 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 no, yeah you're no just saying hair with black women obviously is one of those things and like we have you know we have Aunt Song who is this sort of prim and proper sort of performance of like southern you know black woman gentility and then we have Mm-hmm. like you know the you know um carolyn who is this like you know this woman who is you know of the earth and like she wears these really beautiful you know beads in her hair and her hair is natural mm-hmm. and um and so we we have these sort of both valuable and valid but we have these very different perspectives of black femininity so mm-hmm. it's like you see you know the ways the things that you even see also one of the really interesting things is like the way that like on song first of all they quickly give her like a like they they give her all these new things to make mm-hmm. up for like the things that she has like they give her these she gets this she has these pajamas like the little these pants and this button up mm-hmm. pajama and instantly on song is like oh no like these are these are tatters like you yeah. know, Viola, give her one of your one of your dresses. So now she's got to wear this frilly nightgown that she's given from her cousin Viola um, to put on. And then also, it's like Aunt Song has this thing also about like go in the bathroom and change. And then she closes the door, and then she's like, Viola, do you have your bra on? Okay, you can come back in the room now. I'm not saying that like you know young girls shouldn't have their privacy, but there's something about the way that <laughs> no, like yeah. she makes sure that like these two girls are changing in different rooms and like mm. and like uh, and like oh okay you've got your bra on now you can come in the room and it's like if she was putting it on like that would be too like it's just interesting that on song feels yeah. a need to sort of like be like the gatekeeper for like these two girls who are going to be sleeping in the same room and spending the entire summer together you know and I'm sure it was right. good intentions but it was just like a funny little thing it's when you think about the way that like Troy lives in this house full of boys where everybody's busting each other's doors yeah. open and taking what they want, baby. Right. Like, I don't think I, there's a knock to be had. No, no, not in this family. No. Um, but those yeah, moments, I, yeah. I think, yeah, I think it's interesting because it, it's obviously a huge contrast as well. And also I think, um, you know, there's probably a part of, at least from what I like 
like saw between how Carolyn felt about the choices that Aunt Song made for um, <clears throat> Troy when she came back and she was like oh she made me take my braids out and Carolyn was like oh I knew she was going to do that and they're sort of like the uh, the uh, the conversation at least is at least maybe like I don't know if this is the point but at least that I was trying to like or the conversation is not had but alluded to that like there is a certain amount of assimilation that I feel like maybe Carolyn sees Aunt Song like participating in that um, you know for whatever reason she's a little bit older she lives in the south which is like you know famously a more a hostile community for um, you know black women and people of color and like you know I, I, I got the sense that Carolyn um, did didn't like hate her for that, but like had an understanding of like I knew this was gonna happen. I understood that like we were sending you down with your New York values, your Brooklyn values, and into Virginia with Aunt Song, and you were gonna come back with you know an entirely different wardrobe, a different hair, and that's just like you know the experience you're getting from spending time in these two places. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's like, you know that there's going to... I mean, it's that thing, too, of, like, sending a kid away to, like, a different... You know, just family members in a different part of... And that's a part of... In some way, that's a part of it. Because it's also like, hey, see see how people live here. Like, take this in. Maybe you'll like it. I don't know. But, like, I'm I'm broadening your horizons. I want you to see something, you know... I want you to do something other than ripping and running with your brothers and fighting all summer long, you know? Right. Exactly. and in a way, I'm sure also for like Woody and Carolyn, it's also like we'll get a little bit of breathing room too. We're going to oh be God. spending less money on groceries. Like yep. there are little things that I'm sure add up as well, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, and honestly, if we're going down from, you know, five kids to three, you know, yeah. for the summer and the and it's Peace the older mind. kids, then like we're going to have a little bit of space on our own. So it's like it's good all around. You know, I know my mom sometimes I think especially for at least like the first couple of weeks, I know my mom was like, yeah, let's get you to granny. Um, yeah, we went to camp. We went to sleepaway camp, and I'm sure my parents were like so happy to get. Oh, I'm about. sure, right? Like, I never thought about that until I was older. Where I was like, <laughs> "You suckers! Like, you got to stay at home and work, and I'm going to camp, and I'm gonna have so much fun." And then I was like, "Oh, this was a vacation for my parents too." <laughs> like, oh, for sure. I'm, <laughs> I'm sure they started having like some some nice meals that they were like, "We're not gonna be having Chef Boyardee tonight, baby. We're not gonna be eating." <laughs> Your mom was a Venus. Chef Boyardee, but I mean, I was gonna but say you never, you, you would never be allowed to bring Chef Boyardee into no. Names. But I'm sure that like I'm, sh- but I'm sure that those yeah. meals got a little bit nicer when it's like oh, I'm sure, yeah, yeah. It's nothing worse than like wasting like you know like duck larange on like a five year old that just like pukes it up. Speaking of puking it up, there um, oh. we have like these great moments. There's all of these great like slice of life moments. There's like the moments so at the dinner table. Like there's this moment where like Carolyn has like put the food Food in front of the kids to eat and like Nate has decided that he does not want to eat black eyed peas and Carolyn is like no you're eating these black eyed peas and then like I couldn't tell if this was the same plate of food from the day before I think it was maybe leftovers mm-hmm. but they'd all had to eat the, they eat, they were eating black eyed peas for a second day and you see the next day the dad brings home cake and ice cream and everybody's diving into the cake and ice cream and then Nate like is still sitting there with his plate with the black eyed peas on him and Carolyn's like you're gonna 
eat these black eyed peas. This is that tell you what's <laughs> happening today. And then Nate starts eating them and then he ends up throwing up and everybody like runs away from the dinner table. <laughs> Honestly, like as a parent, I'm like, oh my fucking God, I can't believe you did that. As an as as a kid, I'm thinking like, what a fucking dope power move. <laughs> Like, I'll, I'll puke all over this plate. I'm going to puke all over this plate, and that means I'm not going to have to eat these things. Kids are very yeah. creative. Uh, my I mom would have been like, food. oh, well, it seems like your stomach's upset. You're not going to be eating that ice cream and key there, I'll tell you that. <laughs> there is also um, the thing that we didn't talk about, the elephant in the room, or should I say the the dog in the room. Um, but Queenie... Um, <laughs> Uh, Queenie is the Queenie is when Troy goes to the south to visit her relatives the dog that Aunt Song carries around everywhere with her um, it is her dog named Queenie and um, she looks like a little like I don't even know what was she she wasn't a shit she's a Pomeranian she's a Pomeranian yeah and she, Jane's dog, I believe, is part Pomeranian, potentially, Yeah, he's right? part, he's so part sure Pomeranian, this, part Chihuahua, we think. So I'm sure this touched really, really it close It's because he has Jane. a sweet face like that. He does have a sweet face. Um, <laughs> um, and well, we can, I guess we can file this also under dogs that are probably dead. Um, well, I wrote, I was like, I wonder if Muttley is dead, and I wonder if Queen, Queenie is dead. Because Muttley, um, their family oh, dog, Muttley's such a well-behaved, sweet, such a good dog. dog. That's an actor. That is a paid professional. Of I love course. animals that are, like, hitting their mark, and they're just like, and he's, get the scene. And he's probably long gone in doggy heaven now. I mean... Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so, I oh, mean, if we're talking... Yeah, this movie was nearly, yeah. because we're getting old, 30 years ago. Oh, my God. Um, and so, yeah, the 90s are 30 years ago. That's That's crazy. Um, so, it's also wild to think that this is, to like, my mom was born in the 60s. So, this is, like, if my mom was talking to somebody about, like, the 1930s. I know, it's so awful. Um... <laughs> Well, no. But oh, my God. I'm so never... sorry. No, that's completely wrong. I just sounded like an idiot. This would be if my mom in the... This would be if... This would be like You know I didn't mom, take you. Yeah, no. If my mom... No, this would be my mom in the early aughts talking to somebody about the 70s is what this would actually be. Because how could my mom talk to somebody about the 30s when she wasn't born? Um, so, it's just stupid. I'm just well, so we idiot. Were, well, we weren't born in the 70s. I mean, if somebody was having a conversation with us about, like, you know, right, right, right. that would be, like, them talking to us, 80s babies, about, like, the 50s. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, That's yeah. 30 years before we were born. The 50s. Yeah. Um, you never you never finished your um, thought on Queenie. Queenie is on Song's Pomeranian. And in the movie, she carries her around everywhere. And then, like, there's a scene that is seared into my brain. Dave was actually talking. He was asking me something. And I was like, shh. Watch the screen. Um, <laughs> you don't want to miss this. I don't know what, what no. that is in me that's like, you can't miss it. Um, but it's like her looking for it. They're having like a little like sleepover for Troy's. Um, Troy's getting ready to leave. She's declared she's ready to go home. She got her letter from her mom. She's homesick and she wants to go back home. And thank goodness she does. Um, but mm. she wants to go back home. And then um, they're having a little like birthday party for her. They have a couple girls from the neighborhood over and they're all like, and then like it's, it's such a funny scene because Ansong like comes in the room and she's so annoyed for no reason. And, well, she's annoyed because her dog, because of the dog, but these kids, it's just she like... She spent fourth, all day searching for Queenie. Searching Queenie for Queenie. Queenie. nowhere she, to be found. She can't find the dog and she comes in and it's time for the girls to go to bed and she like comes in and she's like, stop it! 
It's just like little girls just playing, just playing. And she's like, stop it. And she's like, get away. They're like, she's like, pull the, and they pull out the, um, the couch, the mat, the bed in the couch. They open up the couch and the dog flies is out and lands on the floor and is deceased. Um, <laughs> like, and, and is like in full like rigor mortis. Yeah. And, <laughs> and Dave and I Wait. were talking about it today. I'm sorry. I was going to say we were talking about because Dave said, do you think one of like things about he did it? I was like, no, nobody like nobody killed the dog. I was worried that they were going to try to blame it on Troy. On Troy. But thankfully they didn't. I mean, what could Troy have done? But she like, I, my favorite part of this whole thing is <laughs> they're having, it's the day after they have a burial. They're standing in the yard next to like a white cross where the dog is buried and they're like, okay, they say a few words and they're like, okay, time to go home. And <laughs> <laughs> and Troy's literally like going to the airport to go home and she goes sorry you got squashed to death in the sofa even though I hated your guts <laughs> and I was like that is a perfect fucking like ending line for that like just for that moment because it was like she's leaving this prim and proper house where she didn't feel like she could be herself her you know she's had to um get her hair pulled through with a hot comb which is terrifying she's had to wear these prim and proper dresses she's had to you know watch these like televangelists and sing along to them and whatever and it was just a nice thing to drop in the yard a nice sentence to drop in the yard on your way out the door and i was like yes troy you're a fucking queen Oh my god, hold on. Before we get to that, we have not mentioned um, the character, the actress who plays the bodega woman in this movie. Oh, we get a quick glimpse of our girl RuPaul cameo of a lifetime. Um, Ru, and um, also, and then Dave was like, oh, I guess I get why Ru doesn't dance more on Drag Race. <laughs> the shade! <laughs> she well, is... also, I wrote down... <laughs> Okay, Dave maintains that is not what he said, but I'll believe it in no way. Um, <laughs> I'm, maybe I'm mistaken. Maybe I'm mistaken. If I'm mistaken, I'm sorry. Um, she's RuPaul is so fucking tall, and she's dancing with the tiniest little man in this bodega, and I love it. And it's oh just yeah, like, it's like she is this dance that she's quickest, doing. It's the quickest cameo, but it's like, and it doesn't do anything but just tell us that like. Life in New York is wild, man. Sometimes you can walk into a bodega and see, a, you know, a six foot four drag queen dancing with a tiny little man having the time of their lives. Oh, yeah. They are like they're like Rue is like living, living her life. And she is gyrating and she's got this blonde afro. And like Troy is like yes. mesmerized. Mm-hmm. And it's just amazing. It's just like Rue cashing a check. Mm-hmm. Um, but giving yeah, so that was they want. giving the kids what they want. Since 1994. And so that was a really wonderful moment just to be like, look at look at Rue giving us full on 70s Glamazon. Um, and then, as you mentioned earlier, we have like um, we have Troy heading back home. We have like, you know, you kind of kind of did you feel like something was uh, was coming when you saw that it was no aunt and uncle picking her up? Or you, I mean, you don't really. The thing is, when you have when you have that many kids, it's like you could just be busy with. Like, exactly. I didn't I didn't think that it was I, I didn't think about it until we enter the hospital and they're like, Well she's not doing well and I was like, Oh it's cancer. I was like, Is she gonna fucking die? Like is she gonna fucking die? And of course she does. And it's just it's it's so 
I didn't see it coming, although I knew something had to happen. And Mm. I think, you know, it was really tough, but, like, I do love seeing who Troy is after she comes back from South and after her mom's death, because, like, I see you see her, like, you know, they play. There's just like this like, quick shot of her like watching this Afro Sheen commercial, mm-hmm. and it's like they show what they watch on TV a few times throughout this movie, and it's always like the Partridge Family or something like, you know, that's just very fucking white. And then she's just been in this, um, you know, in the South with Aunt Song, who has made her, um, you know, like tried to make her feel like her natural hair isn't you know worthy yeah on song is using like nice, yeah, uh, she's hot combing hot on her comb. hair and yeah yeah and so the tagline I think is something like I, I can't remember exactly what it is but it's like it's like um, let your natural beauty show let your natural yeah, beauty shine through or something like that yeah and I think and then like Soul Train comes on next and the kids are like dancing to Soul Train in this very like cute authentic way and it's really a moment where the kids are all back together and it feels like there's you know there's been some calm through the chaos their mom is sick and they know that but they don't know how devastating it is and then in comes Woody to tell them that it's cancer and I just during that scene I just broke down I just started yeah. crying hysterically because it was such an um uh, again I keep using the word authentic but it just felt like such a a real way to share this information and to share this news and it was also everybody except for Troy in this moment like you see her she's the only one who doesn't cry everyone right. else is everyone else is is crying and falling apart and you and you see that there's something else going on within her she's processing mm-hmm. it a little bit differently um and uh I think that, like, there's also these moments right before this when she gets a letter from her mother and, Mm. you know, you see, but, like, it's, like, it's, like, Alfred Woodard reading the monologue and she's in her full Carolyn glory as she's, like, sitting in the, in her chair in the living room. She says, hey, Ladybug. And she starts sort of, like, telling Troy about all the, the, the happenings in the neighborhood. And, um... So and you, you see get, it happen. I love yeah. how they roll out this letter. I think it's so masterful. And it's and it's also it's like she was only gone for like six weeks, but like mm-hmm. it, when you're a kid, it feels like a lifetime when you it's like forever. go away from home. And so, and there's the moment where she and the the part of the story too that I thought was really when she tells the story of like you know the brother having the um having the tickets to go see the basketball game and having mm-hmm. to choose between going to their father's concert. It's the same night as the basketball game, and. Mm-hmm. You know, he has to make, and she says to him, Carolyn says, you have to make a decision. Like, what's more important to you? And Clinton chooses to go to the game. And then it's like, you see the family sort of gathered at the house, having dinner after the concert. And like, Clinton walks in and he says, the Knicks won. And then he just goes upstairs. And it's like, but at what cost? Like, you see that he was there for this moment, but it's like, all you're going to remember from this night is the fact that like you didn't show up for your father so it's like this empty sort of but it's also like one of those lessons that you have to learn in life like Mm -hmm. you've got to feel that and you've got to and like the family sitting around eating cake and ice cream and the dad who's really trying to I think sort of absolve him of any feelings of guilt is like hey Mm -hmm. come on in here like we have some for you 
And he said he he can't bring himself to. It's like he's processing. It's like you've got to go on this journey. You have to live through this. It's that thing as a parent too, where it's like I you I have to let you feel what you're going to feel and I have to let you but it's like you see all of these kids having these moments of sort of growth in their own respective Mm -hmm. ways you know and obviously Troy and then there's a moment Clinton who's the older brother who really razzes her hard and like you know our girl Troy like she steals his buffalo nickels at one point to get some ice cream because it is what it is all's fair all's fair in this house oh my Um, god I stole I I, everybody's pocket money was my pocket money at home and that's you're still still the case and i'm actually i'm gonna i will see you in small claims court jane you can't just do that um but you're right though like we see everybody go on this sort of journey this like summer which brings a lot of loss but then like it brings these little moments of growth too and there's that moment in the moment also that got me where like after the funeral they're having the repast at the house and like troy's sitting on the couch and clinton comes and he just like offers his hand to her which is like the only like tender moment that you ever like you know but it's sort of like let's um let's call it a truce (laughs) like it's like let's just be let's be what we need to be for each other and that moment destroyed me yeah it's it's heartbreaking it is you seeing these kids sort of try and navigate grief together and it's like you're the only you're one of four people in the world that know what i'm going through and that lost what i lost so you know yeah, I mean, it ends on this note of, like, Troy sort of moving into this role of, like, the mother figure, you know, um, mm. and sort of, like, taking brushing her little... Out, bro- uh, brushing her Joseph's her, hair. Brushing yeah. out Joseph's hair, her little brother, and, like, the kids come into the window, as they'd done earlier in the movie with Carolyn, asking mm. if, like, um, the kids could come out and play, and now they're asking Troy for permission for Joseph to come out, and mm-hmm. she's sort of setting the parameters for him and letting him know, you don't go too far away, like, dinner's gonna be ready soon, and, mm-hmm. you know, it's, um... It's a really it's it ends on this hopeful note at like whatever yeah. is ahead for the Carmichaels in terms of the future. And yeah. it's it's in this space where like the the way that the movie ends and the way that this whole kind of death happens, it's like it it has that like feeling. It's it's like as always they endure, but like you are in this space where like nothing much changes but also absolutely everything changes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of the final feeling of this mm-hmm. movie where it's like this, again, this world, this chaos, this, you know, everything keeps spinning, but like you find your place in it, you know, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. at least always have to, you know? Yeah. And I just, I don't know. It's probably, yeah, uh, one of my most favorite movies I've ever seen. Oh, wow. You really Mm -hmm. liked it. That makes me happy that you really liked it. It's like, it's one Mm -hmm. of my favorite films um, as well. And it's it's my favorite Spike Lee joint. So I think I already know the answer to this question. But Jane, um, is this a movie that you would watch again? Of course, yeah. I, the movie that I probably will watch again soon. Okay, that makes me really happy. I'm so happy you liked it, Jamie. <laughs> um, and yeah, it was great. And now I have to toss the old hot potato over to you. Um, there was a rumor, a little bird, you know, I speak to birds, mainly pigeons, but all sorts. Um, <laughs> but a little bird told me that you um, had a movie that you wanted me to watch for next week. And so I just wanted to check in to see if you were a damn liar or if you really did have one. <laughs> 
Well, as per usual, I'm I'm being slandered. Um, anyways, yes, I do have a movie, and because we, when this episode get this upcoming episode gets released, we're gonna be well into Valentine's Day season, and so I thought it would be a good time to do a very romantic movie um, that all all the girlies have seen except for one, and. <gasps> I know it's you, because uh, that's obviously the premise of this podcast. But you and I are going to be taking the journey together and watching The Notebook. Whoa. Mm-hmm. She's, she's pulling out the big guns, a mm-hmm. movie that I've seen a million times. What? I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm oh, I was like, I was like, I was about to lose. <laughs> no, I've literally never seen it. And I don't know how I've never seen it. I've just never seen it. So yeah. some people call it the most romantic movie of our generation. And oh, wow. Some people, some, and some people just call it a movie, you know? <laughs> oh, okay. I know so, McAdams, obviously Gosling. Yes. Um, I know Roland is in it too, and she's another mm-hmm. just underrated, amazing actress who I love. I'm sure she'll be underutilized in this, but, um, <laughs> but yeah. So I am okay. I'm excited to see it. I've never seen it. The only thing I know about I, this movie is the scene. All I know, I don't even know the scene, but I just know the image of of them like in the rain. That's the only thing that I know yeah, about this yeah. movie. Yeah. And uh, that's it. Of course. I don't know what's it in the notebook. Um, and it'll be interesting to find out, you know? I can't wait for you to see this movie. I I loved this movie when it came out. I watched it repeatedly, so it's okay. going to be so fun to hear your take on it. I'm wondering if it's, I, I don't, I, I know you can't, but I'm wondering, like, you said when it came out, which makes me wonder, like, if it's one of those movies that you watch now and you're like, okay. <laughs> I don't know because I haven't seen it in so okay. long. Like okay. I wonder if it's gonna hold up. If I'm still gonna be entirely moved by it. Yeah. Well, we I know can't. we. Well, we've got two. We've got two actors that have gone on to become very big in, for a reason. Like, two very two, good. Actors. Two very good actors. Yeah. So I mean, even if the material is a little bit of you know whatever it's possible that in their hands they were able to elevate it i'm sure yeah. they were so well, um your girl loved it that's all okay I well i am uh i'm getting ready classic awesome. romantic classic mm-hmm. romantic film okay i see you jane yeah thank you everybody for taking it all the way to the end listening to us talk about crooklyn we hope you enjoyed it we are looking forward to um seeing you next week uh if you in the meantime want to keep up with us you can hit us up on Facebook or on Instagram at Movies We Missed and join the um, are we up massive to conversation. Sorry? I said I was saying, are we up to millions yet in terms of like our Twitter I don't know. Followers. I haven't checked it. But Twitter is, I mean, the conversation is, is constant. So if you want to go and see what's going on on Twitter, definitely check us out there at MWM Chat and um, join in. And we are so excited to see you next week for The Notebook. Thanks, guys. Bye.
sorry you got squashed to death on the sofa, even though I hated your guts. <laughs>